The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, and I'm delighted to be recording live from the International Leadership Association Conference in Atlanta. I am the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses, and work with them to develop strategies and business and leadership practices that leverage those trends and create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member with universities in the U.S. and Germany. We talk about the rate of change in our current world, and according to Ray Kurzweil, we anticipate that technology change in this century will be 20,000 times the rate of the last century. And what that really means for leaders is that we will have to metabolize these changes, identify which ones impact our industries, and create solutions that enable our businesses to, to continue to thrive without being derailed. It also means that the complexity of these changes is continuing to increase, so our complexity as leaders needs to correspondingly increase. And that's really a lot of the impetus behind this work, is helping leaders innovate how they lead or specifically change their business practices, their leadership practices, their leadership behaviors in a way that corresponds with the environmental changes that we're all facing such that their organizations will be better off with these changes rather than getting derailed. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to listen for something from each of the presenters that you might want to implement in your own lives. I talk about leaders moving from command and control, but toward what? It's the mind of the scientist. As I am faced with these changes, how do I know what to do, how to do it, when to do it? And for most of us, we are creating the leading practices. We no longer have books to go to that define what is best. That's in our court. So how as a leader do I go from being a great student of the masters to becoming one of the masters? And I will be sharing information from some of those masters for you to leverage such that you become one of the masters. So I invite you to listen each week for something that you can implement in your own leadership and test it out. And I would love to hear back from you if you find something that was particularly useful. Either email me at info at metcalf-associates.com 
or visit our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I would love to share your successes and lessons learned with our listeners. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today we are recording live from the International Leadership Association Conference 2016 in Atlanta, and I am joined by Mike Hardy. He's the founding director for the Center for Trust, Peace, and Social Relations at Coventry University in the UK. Mike, welcome. Thank you for for hanging out with me. Um, Let's start with telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm an, uh, originally an academic economist. Okay. Uh, um, I was uh, head of economics at universities in Leeds and Lancashire before I sort of changed course and went to work with the Foreign Service in the UK and became enormously interested in the Islamic world and the issues facing us globally of mm-hmm. the relationship between um, that part of the world and our part of the world. So now I'm a director of... Uh, an amazing organization at Coventry University, the Center for Trust, Peace and Social Relations. This is quite new. It's about three years old and has now and quite rapidly become the largest peace study center in Europe. And, and our focus is very much on trying to mobilize scholarship and academic work to help policymakers and others understand the issues of vulnerability, the issues of uh, peace building, mm-hmm. and the importance of trust in the contemporary world. That's a little sort of snapshot. <laughs> Just a minor undertaking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why does that fit in a leadership conference? How does it fit here? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting in question. And last year, when in, in my travels and in my passion to promote the issues of trust mm-hmm. in the contemporary turbulence that we have, I, I travel widely and uh, were welcomed all over the place. And I, I traveled to Phoenix, Arizona, and I mm-hmm. met an uh, amazing professor, Mansour Javidan, mm-hmm. at the Thunderbird School. And we just spent a morning discussing how his work in cultural difference and global mindset in how people can be very, very closed in their perspectives. And, their, mm-hmm. and, and my work... It just worked really well. And about uh, six months later, and it happens like this, I had a call to say, Mike, you know, why don't you have a look at the ILA, have a look at the International Leadership Association, get involved. We'd love mm-hmm. you to, to think about being on the board. Well, this is really bizarre because I'm not a leadership scholar. But you know what? Um, I, th- I suppose the telling thing for me was that both Mansour and Cynthia Cherry, the president, mm-hmm. We're just very clear, we're, we're interested in the ILA in leadership. Mm-hmm. So we need scholars, we need practitioners, we need teachers, uh, consultants, coaches, but we also need leaders. So, and that's that was their sell, that was their pitch. My, okay. my great leader, whether I am or not, is irrelevant. <laughs> um, well, you're perceived by people in the field who of leadership sure. as and someone actually, great. when so. you think about it, and the more I've been involved now, uh, without savvy leaders we're we're stuck you know it is going to be leadership which changes so the world we're in as i've said to you and i get boring is a real mess Mm -hmm. and part of the reason for that mess i believe is that the quality of our leaders is you know just a bit lacking we we have the same mantra hence well and for me the idea of innovating how we lead we innovate 
our mass transit, we innovate our light bulbs. And yet the people doing the work of leadership are not innovating themselves at the same rate they're innovating the stuff. That's right. So, and it's not just big leaders right at the top. The, the notion, and I've, I've learned very quickly, the ILA is really interested in mobilizing the concept of leadership at all levels. So lead self. Yes, so you're a leader, I'm a leader, mm -hmm. but also our juniors are leaders, people mm -hmm. of the new generations are leaders, and we can empower small people, mm -hmm. not pejoratively small, but right. small people because <laughs> they're, they're, you know, um, to be leaders, to mm -hmm. lead us mm -hmm. out of this mess. And mm -hmm. uh, then my good friend um, Ira Shalaf, who's also written a lot about fellowship mm -hmm. and how, mm -hmm. you know, we need to take stock of how we follow as well as how we lead. Mm -hmm. And um, we've heard great keynotes at this particular conference, which has stressed to us the, the importance of, of listening, the importance mm -hmm. of dialogue. And that's, that's mainstream, the work I do in my mm -hmm. study center. Just thinking of, of followership and the idea that our model has seven competencies for mm -hmm. Leader 2050, mm -hmm. and one of them is inspiring followership. Yeah. And part of that is knowing when I need to follow. Right? When I'm in a room with someone who's significantly more competent in an area, even though I may be the formal leader, they step in. And that's as it should be. But the power of that person is limited unless mm -hmm. our followers enter this dialogue and enter the discussion mm -hmm, mm -hmm. knowing they'll leave as leaders. So I don't I have to say I disagree sometimes with Ira about the, the power of follow followership. I understand it conceptually, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I want us to move really quickly. We have, in, in my center, I have 70 academics. We have a very okay. flat structure. Okay. I hope I'm an inspirational leader. They give me the authority to lead because I deliver to them the space to be excellent scholars. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And that relationship, but I don't, I don't see them as followers. I see them as leaders in their own right. Right, yeah. And the, the best leaders are those who create other leaders and who empower and entrust mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. forth. I mean, well, and then the other is we lead differently with different groups. Yeah. So you lead differently there than you probably have in other places in yeah, life. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, when I was in the Foreign Service, I was in a bureaucracy of public, a public bureaucracy of civil service, mm -hmm. um, very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really difficult to, to do what I'm describing, mm -hmm. this empowering, this entrusting, mm -hmm. this enabling. Mm -hmm. Um, but we did it anyway, because that's, you know, because you do, don't you? <laughs> well, some of us do. <laughs> why would you let the, uh, the legacy of years of uh, civil service get in the way? Well, actually, I did an interview recently. One of the pieces of work I do um, as a student of Jim Ritchie Dunn, he has a, mm. um, he's an adjunct researcher at Harvard, and we evaluate uh, pockets within organizations. And what we found is what we he evaluates organizations, large and small. And my client was a small organization within a large one. Mm. And what we're seeing is pockets led by people who are progressive mm. can be highly vital rent even if the organization is relatively sure. sick yeah so let's get to your passion though okay let's talk what what do you want to share well i i'm when i entered this this funny old world i thought it's very you need to make a difference you mm -hmm. need to mm -hmm. leave a summit implant you know it's this footprint mm -hmm. in the sand mm -hmm. and and the sea comes very quickly and washes mm -hmm. it away but what my passion is is that that 
I believe that the 21st century is a relationship age. Okay. And that unless we look more carefully at behavior within relationships, we're going to miss uh, several plots. Okay. So when I look at relationships, I analyze, I think, this difference between the forces of prejudice in the world and the forces for pluralism in a nutshell. So I want to mobilize understanding, mobilize scholarship mm -hmm. and practice that promotes pluralism, promotes our comfort as people to live in complex, diverse communities and live peacefully. And why, as a leader, should I care about that? I have my own point, but I'm sure. curious. Because without these basic behavioral things going mm -hmm. on, without mm -hmm. people stepping up and presenting themselves as comfortable in a difficult, complex, mm -hmm. plural mm -hmm. world, leaders will spend all their time regulating, all their time policing, creating mm -hmm. frameworks in which mm -hmm. they would set behaviors. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a, a top-down world of rules and regulations that keep us safe rather than that bottom-up world of behaviors that keep us safe. Mm -hmm. Now, which is going to be the better and more effective? Which is going to be the, the least mm -hmm. cost of, uh, effective way of doing it? So basically, you and I have not met long, long time. We're very different people. Mm -hmm. We can sit and have a good relationship, or I can start to, and you can start to be judgmental, to put mm -hmm. up barriers, to say, well, you know, she talks funny, she's got this funny accent, and she comes from this <laughs> funny place called the United States, and Mike's very stiff and formal. For, you know, if, if we mobilize aspects of our identity mm -hmm. to create mm -hmm. difference, rather than to mobilize aspects of identity to be comfortable mm -hmm. with the space that difference needs, I think we're, 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 mm -hmm. we're on a loser, basically. And I, we both have an economics background, mm -hmm. so what comes to me is that by um, rejecting or distancing myself from people, I go to diversity, but mm -hmm. specifically a lot of what's happening in our world right now I'm limiting the number of perspectives I can accept into my organization. Yeah. So if we, not that we can legally eliminate people, but certainly through behaviors, either we don't hire or we make people uncomfortable yeah. and distance them, even if we don't have policies. We just, yeah. those people that have different things on their heads or wear scarves or do something seem scary. Hmm. And so we don't include them, then my population is smaller. Yeah. So the, and I'm eliminating some a large percentage of the, of the world, global population. Yeah. I, I think our, one of our conversations yesterday was with AJ, mm. ta talking about migration. Mm. So, so as we're having the conversation, I'm thinking more global, but as a, if a listener is sitting in Columbus, Ohio, where I live, um, it's also about, do I reject people from Michigan, the other football team? Sure. <laughs> Am yeah. I eliminating folks that are bright because they're different, either in the external physical features or something about their perspective? So in Europe at the moment, we have what, what the media calls, and politicians, a crisis of migration. We've mm -hmm. got a crisis of refugees, of, of millions of people, not mm -hmm. small numbers, mm -hmm. fleeing the most appalling conflict and doing what you and I would do, seeking safety for your family. Mm -hmm. It's very, very a simple. A basic need. A basic need. Yeah. The consequence of which 
is that we now have a crisis. Now, what's the nature of the crisis? And it's very interesting. The, the nature mm -hmm. of the crisis is how do these million or so, or millions, 2.6, two mm -hmm. I think it is, millions of people in Europe have arrived now. in Europe. This is just in Europe, not mm -hmm. those that are still stuck in Lebanon or Jordan. Mm. How do we integrate them? How do we accept them? How do mm -hmm. we welcome them when the world generally finds prejudice much easier to do? Like, these guys are taking my jobs, they're taking my mm -hmm. health services, mm -hmm. they're taking my school places, mm -hmm. and it's very easy for you to see how the forces for prejudice can be mobilized. So the real crisis in Europe is not large numbers of migrants, it's how do we cope as a people mm -hmm. with absorbing, with welcoming? How do we create the space in Europe, which we have, to allow these people uh, refuge? Um, do you know the research we're doing in my centre, the scholarship, just to be boring with it, is, no, is, on, um, is one of the first major studies of discussions with, led by Professor Crawley, who's amazing. Mm -hmm. And what her project has done is spoken to five or six hundred refugees as they arrive on beaches in, in Malta, in Italy, in Greece, mm. as they arrive with their, clinging with their, to their all families. All their possessions yeah. probably in their hand. And as they arrive, and they've lost people on the way because thousands mm. die on the, on the travel. Yes. So it's a pretty traumatic. Yeah. But she asked the question, among many others in those interviews, about what did you bring with you? Mm. When you left Aleppo, when you left Mosul, when you left Eritrea, mm. and you got on this journey of securing safety. And it's really interesting. What would you think people would bring with them? When Family. They, yeah, you bring your people, your, your kids. Yeah. The door key. The door the key. key to the door for when I can oh, the go door home. key. Oh wow! Big thing, isn't it? So, wow. so when in Europe we worry about, as we should, about how to accommodate, how mm -hmm. to integrate, mm -hmm. can we afford them? Realize these people aren't coming as as interventionists. They aren't coming mm -hmm. as as migrants who tend to stay. They're coming because they can't go home. And I think what we're learning is that if we if we dealt with the drivers of the movement mm -hmm. rather than the movement. What's mm -hmm. the causes of people mm -hmm. moving in this mass transit way? Um, we'd be better off. And I think if we could solve and create safe communities, people would go home. Just as I do, you know, just mm -hmm. as I go home. You know, I go home because it's great. It's my mm -hmm. base and it's safe mm -hmm. and it's secure and I can rest. And your people are there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as a researcher, as someone who runs the center, what are the things that you want people to hear about how we create a more peaceful world? So it's a really big ask, and, mm -hmm. and, and coming up with solutions is always hard, but I think there are a few simple things that mm -hmm. my experiences and my journey, you know, I've, I've, I've had a, a very mixed career and I've reached a place where some really strange people have given me the responsibility for developing the center and for mm -hmm. being inspirational. But I think there are some really very simple wins. Okay. Um, at the moment, I'm doing research personally and I'm writing more and more about identity. Mm -hmm. So about who I am, who you are, who you think I am, who I think you think I am. Mm -hmm. You know, this is because this is the business of relationships, largely in our contemporary mm -hmm. world that we present ourselves in a certain way, in the way that we want to be mm -hmm. seen and, and, and met. 
And that's also, we present ourselves to ourselves. Yes, right. Absolutely. I look in the mirror, yeah. and do I see someone who's kind, or do I see someone who's just? And sometimes those go on the continuum of, I'm protecting my family from those, yeah. versus I'm welcoming precious souls. Yeah. So if you go back to, we talked about a minute ago, mm -hmm. that I'm interested in this battle between the forces mm -hmm. of prejudice and the forces of pluralism. I think we don't help ourselves Mm -hmm. by creating too much focus on who we are and our identity. So my campaign at the moment, and it's very small and, it's very, and so forth, is to say, can we not move from who I am to how I behave? Can we not move you from who you are and when you look in the mirror and mm -hmm. describe yourself to yourself and get comfortable mm -hmm. in yourself, challenge yourself about how you behave rather than who you are. And mm. So I've, I've looked a lot at the, uh, uh, the current understanding of identity, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the politics of identity, um, and the power that seems to be pervasive in the literature of multiple identities. Mm -hmm. So we have Irish Americans, African Americans, mm -hmm. we have Jewish, mm -hmm. uh, British, we mm -hmm. have Muslim Europeans, we have European mm -hmm. Muslims. And all these, I find, are creating more problem for us in mm -hmm. this in this great prejudice world that we find so easy to. Mm -hmm. So you and I talked yesterday about these, these emotional drivers that we have, that you and I need to belong. This is really powerful, mm -hmm. but we also need to be different. And it's those two things I think are at the source of difficult relations. And I want to change those to be part of peaceful relations. So if, my need to be tribal and to belong mm -hmm. to a civilization that I present and show you. I'm a white male, you know. Um, if that's a problem, if I problematize it and create it as a difference to you. Because mm -hmm. I'm a white well, woman from yeah, exactly. a different continent. Yeah. You're a former colonist, you know, so <laughs> former colony. Um, yeah, you were the colonist. Yeah, so I was a colonist, but, yeah, but, so, um, but you're a colonist of different kinds now. Yeah, so, yeah. So, Exactly. So the work I've done recently um, is to look at how I can challenge this notion of multiple identities, these hybrid mm -hmm. identities. Yeah, that was the put it put the identities in the drink shaker and Yeah. So I've come I came up with this notion of trying how do you get quickly to the point instead of being laboriously boring as I can be. This notion of cocktail identity. Mm -hmm. So when you go to a cocktail bar, whether it's a cocktail or a mocktail, it doesn't matter, you create a single drink from a multiplicity of bits and parts. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are as people. So I can describe to you all the things, the, the clubs, the, the tribes that I belong mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. this nation of belonging. So I support Manchester United, the soccer team. I'm a white male. I'm a... I'm an old fogey, you know, so I'm, I'm from a baby boomer time, so, mm -hmm. and I have grandchildren. Um, and I, I'm an academic. I live in mm -hmm. London. I live in the first world as opposed to somewhere else. So I have a wonderful wife of, of mm -hmm. many, many years. And so I have all these things which I can lay out before you. Mm -hmm. And you can be comfortable with me mm -hmm. if you're comfortable with lots of those things. Mm -hmm. If there's a few that really make you uncomfortable, mm -hmm. Like I'm a jihadist terrorist, for example. If that was on my label. Or, yeah, if you said terrorist, it'd be a different conversation. You know, all of a sudden, there would be a, the boundaries between us would, would be erected. And mm -hmm. quite correctly, you'd be anxious because that's your, your need to belong to your tribe. And this is really quite an alien guy that's sitting across from me. Mm -hmm. So how can we change that? Well, we change that by, 
by my trying to present myself as Mike. Not as a single complex mm-hmm. person. Not a, mm-hmm. not a multiplicity of identities that I can mobilize some parts of which. I go to a mm-hmm. soccer match and I wear, I wear red and I'm, yeah, 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 it's this side. Or mm-hmm. the other night it was the Cubs and the Indians. You know. <laughs> I became a Cubs fan because I was in a, a cluster of Cubs fans. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, if you support the other side because you like the color of their shirt, then you might get into trouble tonight. <laughs> cause, you know. But actually, on a, on a serious note, I want to mobilize our priority on how we behave. Let's go to break. We'll be right back on the topic of priority about how we behave. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Technology is moving at a rapid pace with so many innovations, new ideas, and improved applications. One thing that hasn't changed, though, is real estate. But will it? The future of real estate with host Jessica Stoner will share with you the minor adjustments and the major disruptors in the future of real estate. Modern advancements are changing how we work, where we choose to live, and affects how our homes and communities will be built. Homeowners, buyers, sellers, and investors can tune in every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Real estate has always been a great investment, but some people don't always know where they can start. Why not think like a real estate investor? Tune into Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. It's not just about buying and selling houses. It's about creating lifestyles, financial freedom, and empowerment. We'll talk about the latest real estate news, financial literacy, and our featured guests include authors, entrepreneurs, and celebrities. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Central, and 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Welcome back, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're with Mike Hardy, and we took a break talking about the priority about how we behave. So can we continue yeah, so on this, this, this mantra I have about let, let's try and shift the emphasis away from who we are to how we behave. That, mm-hmm. that was it, mm-hmm. essentially. And, you know, um, I don't know when you were a mum or when I was a dad, whether you had on, on the refrigerator door a little chart for your kids. About, I don't have children, so okay. I, I did no, not. I just, just go I'll with go with it, yeah. So... I've seen these. We didn't use them at home, but there was these little behavior charts. Oh, you, you know what? I did. Bars, you know, and if you've, if you've eaten your Brussels sprouts or you've eaten your vegetables and so forth, you get a little tick. And if you've done your homework, you get a little tick. I actually implemented those with someone who I was helping raise okay. a daughter. Yeah. And because it, it helped us reinforce behaviors and make visible exactly. something that was otherwise not able yeah. to track. So what's... And this, for me, is a very simple sort of metaphor to use. What's on my behavior chart or yours and what it mm-hmm. should be? So let me, let me start by when you meet someone new, mm-hmm. do you focus on understanding them or do you focus on making judgments? You have a choice. Normally, we are encouraged in our society mm-hmm. to take a stand, to take a position, to mm-hmm. make a judgment. And normally, our first judgments then are really a reform the more we get to know them so mm-hmm. the and this is reinforced in the literature mm-hmm. of course with work on psychology and in groups and out groups mm-hmm. and how the in groups create very strong boundaries and, mm-hmm. and how out groups find difficult and so forth so how much of that is ingrained neurologically is it about finding i see someone yeah, walking down sure. the street it's late at night i look to scan to see if i'm safe well the neurology first. is about Self-defense. It's yes. about preservation. Mm-hmm. It's your instincts for that. You will protect your family. You'll protect yourself and those mm-hmm. that you care about. But socialization allows us to counter that. Allows okay. us to learn behavior mm-hmm. that is more conducive to okay. peaceful relations. Okay. So this is when you're on your soapbox, of course. So mm-hmm. I want to encourage people to think understanding before judgment. Okay. Do you know the be- the best lesson I had, which let, let me describe it to you and, and come with me. I know mm-hmm. you're not a, a mum yet, but the great difference between my children and my grandchildren. I have one grandson. He's five mm-hmm. and a half. He's my best mate. He's my mm-hmm. best friend. And one of the reasons I analyzed, why is it that we have such fun together and mm-hmm. we have a completely different relationship than I had with my children, who I mm-hmm. also have a very strong relationship mm-hmm. with. It's because I don't need to have judgment as part of that relationship mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. much. Yeah. So we go and jump in puddles. We get into trouble with his mum together. <laughs> you know, and that's because we have a relationship where we're seeking to understand each other. Mm-hmm. That's the priority. I'm seeking to learn from him. He might be fine, but he's an enormous resource. And mm-hmm. clearly he, can, he, he is always learning mm-hmm. from, from all the people around him that are influential. So we have a relationship that's driven by understanding rather than by judgment. And I, it was very powerful to me. So that's the first behavior. How can you do that? Secondly, how do you cope with difference? Have you mm-hmm. thought about this? Do you work at it? Many mm-hmm. of us don't. There was a, mon- a wonderful sequence in a very old movie, the first Star Wars movie that most people have seen. Okay, I'm sure I did too. Yeah, we've all seen it several times. Mm-hmm. It's probably 20 or 30 years old. And in that, um, George Lucas, I think, had this amazing scene in which there were, they were in a bar 
mm-hmm. and the context of the scene was this bar full of really strange animals. Oh, I do know the scene, yeah. yeah. And they were coming, they sat and they were discussing mm-hmm. the next part of the scene. Mm-hmm. So the movie was actually focusing on their dialogue. But behind them was this plethora of really bizarre people. Mm-hmm. And difference wasn't an important thing in that bar. It seemed completely ignored. Exactly. So that that's my sort of mm-hmm. thing I have in this head. Can we get a world in which when a black person, when an Asian person, when a hooded person comes into the room, mm-hmm. when a, a, a niqab, uh, a fully veiled Muslim woman mm-hmm. comes in, mm-hmm. that we don't take an intake of breath or when a beard or when a mm-hmm. rucksack or when a, you know. Mm-hmm. And actually we, we look at um, coping with that difference in a different way. Now, so we don't have to like people of difference. We don't have to agree with them. Mm-hmm. We don't need to set out to persuade them to be like mm-hmm. us. We don't have mm-hmm. to assimilate them. But we need to give them space. We need, we need the ability in our behavior t- to create space for difference. You know, I, I have attended a Unitarian church for mm. a, a time now, and, and I should never quote religious doctrine because we'll get it wrong. But what I took away and why I selected this space, and it may mm. be just that church within the denomination, is the, the mantra that we we cannot have peace in the world until we learn to respect the yeah. other. Yeah. Understand and respect. I don't have to your point. I don't have to like. I don't have to convert to. That's right. But I have to appreciate that your view is different than mine, and it is an appropriate choice for you. Yeah. And getting out of then that colonization yeah. or fear. Yeah. So that's that's and it's hard, you know. But if mm-hmm. you ask me about behaviors, then I I'd like to raise awareness about this so that we mm-hmm. find it easier because it's not. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. It's tricky. And a lot of uh, a lot of congregations in many different mm-hmm, religions, mm-hmm. Um, they're getting better and better as we mm-hmm. as we progress. But they are actually closed communities, a large number. You know, and that you belong to it. It's very secure, very safe. Your mm-hmm. pastor is an amazing mentor and helps mm-hmm. you through the week. But how much promotion is there of this notion that respect is a great word? I mm-hmm. like that very much. Um, and it's a it's a question of finding space for difference. And this specific organization, or, or again, my little part of it, seems to seek that out. Yeah. It, it is, we have conversations with people who think differently, yeah. and that's the intent. Yeah. They've created a system or a structure around which differences are are surfaced and are, are positive. Hmm. So we have to continually go, go back to this notion that we need, we need to belong. Mm-hmm but we also need to be different. But if you layer that in a world now in which uh, mobility mm-hmm. is normalized, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, part of the problem we have, not part of the nature of the challenges that we face. So now mm-hmm. we live in a really connected and interdependent mm-hmm. world. You sneeze in one country and you catch a cold in another. The internet, um, social media, um, low-cost travel, plus the crises that, uh, that allows millions of people to just mm-hmm. walk to another place that's mm-hmm. safer, means that our communities are becoming more and more diverse. You can't build walls to prevent that. You can't create boundaries and barriers, because as we've seen in the world, people circumvent them. Mm-hmm. The power of self-preservation... They just die them. Yeah. You know, the research that I referred to earlier that we're doing in Europe on the refugee and asylum seeker crisis... Mm-hmm. 
European governments are generally of the view that there are people smugglers, gangs of criminals that are fueling this problem. Um, and the research is very clear. It's actually the borders, the, the, the lack of porousness in the borders which is causing the problem, not the people smugglers. Most of the smugglers, do you know that um, uh, about 90% of the migrants that were interviewed in Europe will tell you that at some part of their journey they paid someone to help them make the next step. Mm -hmm. So there's an industry. Who are the smugglers? They're not mafia gangs and organized criminals. They are as well. Okay. They're largely people from within the community. Mm. They're trying to help their okay, body so the, It's not a criminalized smuggling okay. industry, simply. It's just the, the underground railroad kind of concept. Yeah. So, you know, you just get together and this guy knows someone over there and he can do this. We can. So who is, uh, who is providing all the life jackets for mm. the mass, the millions of refugees sitting mm. in rubber dinghies crossing the Mediterranean. You thought about that? Well, people don't think. These were being bought by, in large quantities from factories in China. They're being imported, sold to migrants. These are once-use life jackets. Wow. There's a beach in, in Greece you can go to where hundreds of thousands of life jackets are, are in a big mountain. So they, somebody should reuse them and resell. I don't think they've got this. They're not not high quality to be reused. They're uh, for once only. Okay. And they're like five or ten dollars each. But five but or ten dollars when you have nothing. Yeah. We have a globalized market economy, which somehow has created a supply chain for life jackets for people. Specifically, people being smuggled. Yeah. Uh. So um, we, we got distracted, but in in a sense. We have a world where, where these issues, the issues we're describing, and these forces for prejudice and forces for pluralism, are more critical now than ever before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I live in London. I'm a, I, I love London. It's great. 47, 48% of people who live in London weren't born there. You know, really? this is a, a hugely different place. Mm -hmm. I was talking to AJ recently, the, our African mm -hmm. Union ambassador, who, who said that he, he arrived in London the other day and he couldn't recognize it. It's a very different city. And I grew up in the D.C. area. Yeah. And it's similarly, it, it, again, it's hard growing up in an area where there is that much diversity. It's, I grew up with an expectation that people are going to look different. But so, so many people don't. So our behaviors, if they don't adapt, mm -hmm. we have problems. So what happens when the the nature of our community changes not by mm -hmm. design you know there's this wonderful sociologist that that i often quote because he's been really influential in my thinking Harmut rosa he's a uh, a german and he describes the modern world as characterized by an acceleration of change so never before yeah. has the pace of change been so quick so it's actually mm -hmm. not the diversity that bothers you it's the fact that it happens so quickly well, and the one I quote <clears throat> is Ray Kurzweil from mm. a different lens, yeah. looking at the rate of technology change. <clears throat> so 20,000 times as much technology change. So, <clears throat> so we get to this, now people aren't going to die. We've yeah. got replacement organs that yeah. come out of printers. I guess we've got, we've got as about 1,200 people here at the, mm -hmm. at the ILA conference. And you know, when you look at the data, 32% of the people that came to this conference mm -hmm. will celebrate their 100th birthday. This is really, really changed, isn't it? And well, and yeah. So, what do we do with diversity and just feeding people and the social contract yeah. that 
mean, how many people think they're going to retire at 60? Yeah, and, and have 40 uh, years more. And then 70 people, 70% 70 of the people who reach the age of, of 100 will never have lived in an age without the internet. So there's another statistic, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I love these things because they feature in my work on, on identity. Our identity is, is challenged so much by these big changes. Mm -hmm. You know, 150 years ago, there were an absolute number of photographs of images. The equivalent number created every two seconds now. Wow. So every two seconds, more pictures are taken than actually existed in total 150 mm -hmm. years ago. I think we took a bunch of them last night. Yeah. <laughs> On our phones. They oh, didn't exist back then. That's right. So 9,000 images every two seconds on Snapchat. So what is it saying? This is saying that the boundaries between our mm -hmm. private space and our public space are just collapsing. And so you can find out about me without this conversation, which I'm enjoying, by going online. Mm -hmm. By interrogating social media mm -hmm. or by becoming my Facebook friend, you learn not just about how I think, but who I am, who I'm related to and so forth. Mm -hmm. It's a scary world. And in that world, we have to do what we can to promote this notion of, of pluralism. I was going to say, yeah. some of, especially the technology, if my mindset is acceptance mm. and curiosity, <clears throat> you become less other. Yeah. Because I can learn about you. And then I walk in, and this is just my friend Mike. You know, Chelsea talked all about you yesterday, so I knew something about you, and you were presented as a good guy and a smart guy and a friend versus someone who was... You're preparing yourself for, um, for the social relations mm -hmm. that you're going to follow, mm -hmm. and you're preparing in a normal way. Mm -hmm. It's one that's actually fueled by prejudice rather than acceptance. And what you've done is you've relaxed all these barriers because mm -hmm. you've got validation from others that you trust. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? So, not to make this personal, but how would you change my behavior? So for listeners, I'm, I mean, people who've listened to me for a while, I'm, I'm a bit liberal. I go to this Unitarian church, those things. I value diversity. I value acceptance. And yet you're pointing to something that's not favorable. So no, I'm, I'm pointing to our... It seems that we're conditioned in a way that uh, that makes us look at the barriers and the mm -hmm. differences rather than the common humanity and the mm -hmm. common purpose. Mm -hmm. So, um, and very quickly, you can remove these, and we can okay. become comfortable because you have validation. You know, I have this view that there are two or three really big things in the world that we get that we understand mm -hmm. as important, mm -hmm. and therefore we work at understanding them better. Mm -hmm. Let's take absolute poverty. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where you're from. Yeah. We get the fact that it's mm -hmm. unacceptable in the world to have the levels of poverty that we do. So mm -hmm. the campaign and the fight against poverty is a given. Mm -hmm. We're quite relaxed about it. We get worried sometimes that this is taking a lot of our tax dollars and so forth. Mm -hmm. and that, but, but there are very, very few people that will tell you that poor people are poor because it's their fault. Very few people. We get mm -hmm. the fact that poverty is a problem. And I hope more and more we mobilize to, to fight mm -hmm. absolute poverty. Mm -hmm. Secondly, climate change. Whether we're into denial or not, whether we're scientists or not, we know that something's going on and that climate change will threaten humankind. Mm -hmm. So these two things, poverty and climate, don't seem to be challenged. They seem to, we struggle with them. Mm -hmm. But we accept that these are big things. Well, my mantra is that 
cultural difference is a third leg to this story. Ah, got it. Okay, it just is. It is this. So cultural difference, unless we cope with it in the same Mm -hmm. way that we fight poverty, and the same way that we analyze the problems with climate and our destruction Mm -hmm. of this planet, will come and consume us and will be the death of us as a as a humankind. Okay, so that's a huge <clears throat> statement. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is why you're dedicating your life's yeah. work to it. Yeah. Right. So if we don't get this under control and we live through climate change, yeah. then this ability to navigate difference will kill us. Yeah. It will be this for me, the single most important problem that will, will cause us conflict. And mm-hmm. if you look around the world at conflict, we used to think it was all about resources. Mm-hmm. So in the old imperial yeah. days, yeah. we'd go and bully people mm-hmm. and take their resources and bring them back into our factories mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. forth. We, we still think it's about oil, it's about energy, mm-hmm. because it's a scarce resource. And to a large extent, it is. But increasingly, what we're seeing is that conflict is about the problem of difference. So I'm not like you. And actually, you have to change to be like me, and then we can be comfortable. And we do that in our relationships, too, yeah, yeah. in our homes. Yeah. So how do I make this concrete? So I'm listening to this interview. We're coming to an end. <clears throat> We've got a few more minutes. What can I do as a listener? What can I do as the person interviewing? If you and I run into this conference next year, mm. I want to report back what I have done to make difference not only in those people out there, but in myself. So go How to the change? theme, and, I, and I'm a really passionate supporter of the ILA, and let's relate mm-hmm. it to that. The theme of this conference, this mm-hmm. annual conference, mm-hmm. 1,300 people and many more watching that couldn't make it, mm-hmm. is there's a single word that's really important, and it's inclusion. Okay. Inclusive leadership. Mm-hmm. This is the theme. And this is saying we have to step up now as people of influence, if we have any, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And be inclusive rather than exclusive. Mm-hmm. So how do we include people in this journey? We do it as we're doing now. We, we talk about it incessantly. And we encourage people to think more courageously mm-hmm. about these challenges. But yeah, I, I was referring to someone yesterday. It may have been you. And forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But the 2011, the census, the mm, population yeah. census in Britain. Every 10 years, we go out and have a look at our demography. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating to look at how the United Kingdom, in this small mm-hmm, case, mm-hmm. is changing. The fastest growing statistics, the fastest changing statistics are mixed marriages. So these are new families being created by people of difference mm-hmm. joining and having babies. And their babies will have babies. You know? So hopefully, there will be a process mm-hmm. Of, uh, of integration, of inclusion, which isn't driven by leaders. But we can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. We can't wait yeah, for that. Yeah, that's generations out. Yeah. And, and younger generations find this space for difference much easier than older generations as well. So in the spirit of making it concrete and making a public commitment, so you yeah. and I meet in Brussels yeah. next year. Yeah. As a board member, you're probably showing up. Yeah. So my commitment is to find in myself where I'm excluding. Mm. When I see somebody and immediately make the assumption, I have to check and make sure they're safe. Yeah. Within reason. I'm still yeah. going to, when I'm walking down a dark street, not go hug the scary looking man down the way. No, but I have the same challenge in, in Brussels, in London, as I had in Atlanta here. How many people are homeless? How many <laughs> people knock on your car window asking for something? Mm-hmm. And how often do we prefer to keep the window up? Now, I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. 
that we embrace all this openly without mm -hmm. thinking because if you roll mm -hmm. the window down, there's security issues and so forth. But don't pass a homeless person. Mm -hmm. Don't exclude in that way. Don't make judgments, mm -hmm. in fact, which we do. I used to live downtown <clears throat> by a park and I knew my homeless people yeah. and I would shop for them. Yeah. I, I wouldn't give them alcohol, but I would give them food. Yeah. So I knew which ones preferred, which, and, and I'm probably not balling that way. But so we have a difficult world. You know, in, in uh, 2015, in the United Kingdom, for the first time, the International Red Cross distributed food parcels. Mm -hmm. In the UK. Oh, wow. What does that say? That says somehow our system has excluded people. If we go yeah. to the voluntary sector to feed people, what on earth are we doing? This is Africa, this is Asia, this is other places, not mm -hmm. your, your hometown. That's, yeah, it's happening. And we, you know, the fastest growing industry in the United Kingdom in 2016 are food banks. And we've got a bunch of them too. And you've got them too. So, so let's we, bring to it back to, yeah. to closure, because I want people to walk away with something concrete. What can I do? Well, not, I think this, this is just an interesting. Of, uh, of self-examination. When you look okay. in the mirror in the morning, mm -hmm. Obviously, worry about how you look because that, you know, that will yeah, make you feel good. It's good on. for personal <laughs> self-esteem. But think also about how you and your behavior mm -hmm. and your relationships might exclude. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then ask the question, why am I excluding? And you, it, nine times out of ten, you won't have an answer. It'll just be because, well, that's how we always did it. So when, when you get into a lift, do you talk to people? Mm -hmm. Or do you look at them and make judgments about them, or do you are you interested in them? Now, it, it's it's a hugely difficult difficult transformation that we're talking about. Well, on the lift, it's safe, right? They're not yeah. going to mug me. Yeah. We're we're in a Hyatt. Okay, so as we close, one, just thank you for brilliant conversation over the last couple of days, and for the question, how am I excluding? Yeah, and I'm sorry, I, I don't <clears throat> don't have all the solutions we look for. Mm -hmm. and that's why. But this is a start. Yeah. Right? For each of us, changing one behavior, yeah. the multiplicity across 7 billion people, that matters. And recognize that the more you seek to understand others, the more you understand how you exclude, the more influential or the better person you'll be. This is, this is about making the world a better place, after all. Thank you, Mike. This has just been a delight. I'd like to thank Mike for joining us for the interview. We began by discussing how the study of peace is a leadership issue. Leadership changes the world, and presently we're in a mess in part because of the quality of our leaders in many cases lacking. By helping leaders understand their own views and behaviors when facing diversity, we enhance our leadership capacity. When we eliminate segments of the population because they appear different, we remove valuable insight and perspectives. The International Leadership Association is interested in mobilizing leadership leaders at all levels, so that means formal and informal leaders, and it empowers everyone to be a leader who addresses the compelling challenges we face in our families, communities, and organizations. Mike is a true leader and role model in his field, demonstrating leadership, evolution, and impact through his action. All of us, whether you consider yourself a leader or not, need to take stock of how we follow as well as how we lead. The power of leaders is limited to how worthy they are following and by whether their followers 
leaders will actually follow them. The best leaders create other leaders and give them space to lead. The expectation of leaders and followers is also dependent on the culture and systems of the organization. We recognize, as an example, government organizations often differ vastly from academics and therefore the expectations in those environments are quite different. And those are often quite different from corporate environments. 21st century is a relationship age and the interconnectedness of everything plays a major role in how we lead and how we as leaders need to evolve our leadership approaches from what we did during the industrial era. We discussed the forces of prejudice versus the forces of pluralism. Mike wants to promote living peacefully in a complex and diverse community. If people aren't comfortable living and working among diverse people, then leaders need to spend their time policing and setting rules and guidelines to keep us safe. The alternative is a scenario in which the group creates norms and finds ways to move through situations based on these agreements without the boss or leader intervening. If we learn to be comfortable in the space of differences, we create opportunities for everyone and diversity becomes a true differentiator in solving the greatest problems rather than being the problem. When we limit diversity, we limit perspectives and we create the disadvantage we put ourselves within. Now let's shift from diversity to the crisis of migration. And again, how we manage the flood of people into Europe and the U.S. who look and act differently than the prevailing culture. Millions of people are fleeing the conflict in Syria and other parts of the world in which appalling atrocities are taking place. The consequence of this flood of people who are different and without resources creates a dilemma. How do countries deal with this when there is such a strong reaction of prejudice and fear? So the real crisis is how do countries and communities cope? Finding the path forward to accommodate people, yet also maintaining social norms and functioning when flooded with people who, in many cases, have limited resources and are afraid. Are the refugees coming as migrants who are choosing to stay or choosing to come to our country because they have no choice? Do we as citizens and compassionate people deal with the drivers of this movement rather than the movement itself? The real driver of the threat is not the refugees, it's the plight of the refugees? How do we as global communities deal with this as the underlying problem and again maintain the culture of the prevailing or, or the destination country or community and create safety and yet benefit from the richness that we talked about within the value of diversity. So Mike is researching identity. People present themselves in the way they want to be seen. This campaign asks, can people move from a focus on who I am to how I behave? The literature suggests that identity creates problems for us. We see immigrants as different from those living in our communities. And if, if we need to belong and if we need also to be different, how how do we integrate both of those drivers into peaceful relationships? If my identity conflicts with your identity, does that mean we will be at odds because our groups are at odds? As humans, we see ourselves as a group of identities, soccer fans, Gen X, work focus, married, nationality, gender. How do we hold this complex set of identities? Our identities are like many ingredients in a good stew. A really tasty stew is comprised of many ingredients, including spices cooked for an extended period of time. In some cases, however, we believe 
as if people are different identities or a few different ingredients in the stew are wrong or distasteful. And it is also true that if we put something spoiled in the stew, that the stew won't taste good. So we're not asserting that we take all comers and accept inappropriate or uh, quote, bad behavior. But when we focus on identity, we're conditioned to look at the barriers and differences rather than the commonalities. This programming can create a significant challenge in how we interact with people who appear different. How can we shift from that focus on identity to the behavior irrespective of identity? And this again ties back to what Mike talked about and also George Papandreou. Is there a universal set of guiding principles for how we treat one another across the planet that defines us as humans rather than Americans or Syrians or Germans or Greeks and also hold a national identity? So I'm not and neither are they asserting that we stop having a national identity, but is there an overarching condition that allows us to be compassionate to people across the planet? So Mike has built a university center to focus on how we deal with identity and cultural differences. He believes that after issues of poverty and climate change, this is the biggest issue facing us as global citizens. Learning to deal with differences may be the single biggest driver to reduce global and local conflict. Over the course of history, conflict was about resources. Now we're finding that conflict is about changing people to be like us in a global environment. We're to live with increasing levels of peace and prosperity. We need to change our mindset and our behaviors. So thank you for joining us for another installment in the ILA Leadership Series and on Voice America. Please email me at info at metcalf-associates.com if you'd like to suggest a topic or if you have any questions. And also follow us on Facebook Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.